Amen, amen. Man, Charles, thank you for reading the story of Christ's birth. And Michael, thanks for just illustrating on canvas for what that night must have been like. And centered in this, this beautiful painting right here is really taking center stage of what we're doing here today. It's why we're gathered in the first place. It's not just to celebrate the season, but to celebrate the birth of Jesus, of a newborn king, to celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's what we've been doing all weekend long. It's why we even gather as a church to just follow Jesus and hear from his word of what does he want from us? What does he want for our lives? What does he expect of us for how we live? So today we're gonna get into Hebrews chapter four. Like Kevin said, this really is what we do as a church. There's a million opinions out there and opinions are cheap. We care way more about what God says about how we ought to live our life if we're truly gonna follow him and see what he expects of us. So we're gonna be in Hebrews chapter four, working through just a few verses, verses 14 through verses 16. And if Highlands is home and you've been a part of our Advent series, you know, that's the text that we've been in all month. So really this is kind of a culmination of the Advent series that we've been walking through together. But before we dive into the text, I'm gonna do this once. We can do it nice or we can do it twice. It's up to you. So we're gonna give this a go. Merry Christmas. Thank you. We don't got to do it again. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. That's where we're going to dive in today. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible somewhere around you in a seat back in front of you. If you're new to the Bible and you got no idea what Hebrews is, we're glad you're with us this morning. We're going to dive in together. You can find it on page 1189. It's a big book, but man, it's a good book. Uh, and that passage is going to be on the bottom right-hand section of the page you open to. 1189, Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 through 16. I'm going to read it and then pray just to ask for the Lord's help and then we'll see what he has for us today. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our times of need. Let me pray for us once more. God, well, it's my voice that's been heard. We know today it's your word that's been spoken and it's your word that we trust is the authority for our life. So Father, today I pray that you would open our eyes by the power of your spirit to your word and what it says, that we would see it a way we've never seen before, that we'd see you in a light we've never seen before. God, would you open our ears that we can hear you speaking to us in this place today? Would you open our hearts that we could respond in love? God, would you open our mouths that we would leave this place continuing to just praise you for who you are and what you've done? God, thank you for this time. Thank you for these people. Would you bless the few moments we have together today. Would it be a wonderful Christmas for each and every one of them. God, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, three encouragements that we're going to look at together today. And the first encouragement is really to hold fast. That's what he says. Hold fast. Hold fast to what? Hold fast to our confession. Why? Because Jesus has passed through the heavens. If you read the story, he actually did this twice. This is the good news. This is the gospel that God sent his son, Jesus, passed through the heavens. He took on flesh and became like us and lived like us. 
The good news, the gospel says that Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, a totally sinless life, a perfect life that is impossible for us, even if we tried to be perfect, which we all know we don't. The Bible says he was killed on our behalf, that he paid the penalty for our sin. The Bible also teaches he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, defeating death, that if you and I place our faith, our hope, our trust in Christ, that you and I can also defeat death and we can live with God forever. The scriptures also teach that Jesus now sits on a throne at the right hand of God. That's the confession that we hold on to. We hold on to the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what we hold fast to, that Jesus is Lord of the good times, that Jesus is Lord of the bad times, that Jesus is sovereign over all. Every single thing that we encounter and experience in this life, God is over all of it. And friends, that's the confession we hold fast to. Which is a strange phrase, hold fast. Don't think I've ever said it apart from preaching Hebrews chapter 4. My brother reminded me it would be appropriate to use that term growing up when my dad would pull us on a tube behind the boat. We should have held fast. Or I was helping one of my brothers move a vanity up some stairs just a couple weeks ago, and it would have been an appropriate time to use the term hold fast to make sure you really have a grip on this thing as we're moving it up the stairs. Instead, he opted for the more uh, normalized term. He just said, you got it? And we brought that thing upstairs. Hold fast. I'm more familiar with hold fast from like the big bad biker dudes with hold fast across their knuckles. You've seen those pictures before? They didn't start it. It actually came from old Dutch sailors. My people, Midwestern Dutch boy right here. Dutch sailors, they would tattoo hold fast across their knuckles. And when they would encounter storms and raging seas, just tumultuous ties, and, and they faced the potential of being thrown overboard and drowning, when they came upon a storm, they would shout to one another, hold fast! Probably more like hold and fasten or something like that, right? And it was their encouragement to one another to really grab on to something steady. Really grab on to something solid, grab on to something that they knew was secure so that when they encountered these rough seas and the boat was tossed to and fro, they would remain stable. They would hold fast. Growing up, we had this giant willow tree in our backyard. If you've never been to the Midwest or you've only lived in Arizona, you've probably never seen a willow tree. They're real, by the way. And this thing must have been, as a kid, I pictured it 400 feet tall. It was massive. Had these giant long willow vines hanging down. And we had this wood pile in the backyard. It must have been 100 feet tall. I called my dad this last week. I said, how tall was that giant wood pile? So it was like three feet tall, man. It was just firewood. But as a kid, I thought it was, it was amazing. It was just massive, right? So we would climb up this tower of wood, and like Tarzan, we'd grab onto these willow vines and go swinging from what I'm sure was across the entire backyard. Get a real good grip. We would hold fast, and it was great. But you know what would happen sometimes when we would swing from the willow tree? <laughs> Those willows, they'd just snap mid-flight, and we would just come crashing down. And it's not that we weren't holding fast because we were holding fast. The problem was we're holding fast to the wrong thing. That's what we tend to do, is it? Each and every one of us hold fast to something in times of trouble. Each of us 
hold fast to something when we encounter the different trials, the different seas, the different storms that we face in our life. Maybe it's a health crisis, some type of sickness that you're dealing with or something going on in the family. What do we typically hold fast to first? Modern medicine, health professionals. I'm incredibly grateful for all of them. One of my kids is alive because of modern medicine and health professionals. Grateful for it. But what do we hold fast to? Do we hold fast to our confession or do we hold fast to something else? What about job crisis? You lose your job, you're in transition. What do you hold fast to? Your past successes, your resume, what is it? Family drama, you've just got turmoil going on. What do you hold fast to? Man, you got a kid that's gone wayward, a kid that just won't behave. What do you hold fast to? We call a friend with the perfect Instagram family and ask them what's the most recent book they've read because their kids are perfect, aren't they? I'm thankful for the books. I've read a lot of them. I've recommended a lot of them. But what do we hold fast to? Each and every one of those things, not inherently a bad thing to them, but much like the weeping willow vines in my backyard that would occasionally uh, fail me and leave me fumbling and tumbling down, each and every one of those things are not as secure or as stable or as foundational as our confession in Christ. That Jesus is Lord of all. Lord of the mountains, Lord of the valleys. He's Lord over everything. That's what we're encouraged to hold fast to. We hold fast to Jesus in this season and in every season we encounter. That's the first encouragement, hold fast. The second encouragement, he says, draw near with confidence, draw near to a throne of grace. Why can we draw near? Well, he says, because we have Jesus, our high priest, who's sympathetic. He gets us. Maybe you've seen that Super Bowl commercial, right? He gets us. Talking about Jesus, how he walked a lifetime in our shoes. He understands what it's like to be us. All of those storms that we face, all of those tumultuous things, all of those trials, all of those things that we go through, Jesus went through them too. You talk about grief, Jesus' best friend Lazarus died. He wept over it. You want to talk about loneliness? Jesus was oftentimes ostracized from his own people for teaching something contrary that the rest of what everyone else believed and taught. You want to talk about temptation? The devil himself actually tempted Jesus. Yet he was perfect. He remained sinless. You want to talk about doing things his own will, his own way? Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he took a cross pleaded with the Father and said, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way we can do this except this, except for the cross, if there's any other way, can we do that? But not my will, your will be done. He gets us. He's our sympathetic high priest. He has walked a mile in our shoes. He's been there, done that. And because he's drawn near to us, he calls us to, in confidence, draw near to him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, I don't know about you. I haven't met a whole lot of famous people, let alone a king of kings and a lord of lords. Uh, but typically, it's happened a handful of times. Maybe it's a musician or it's an actor or an actress or maybe it's the person who's like way high up in your company, so much higher up than you. It's the person you look to like, that's the person I want to become like, right? And, and we approach them, but maybe if you approach them, rarely do we approach in confidence, right? No, we approach like in fear. We approach with some expected rejection in mind. We approach feeling like I shouldn't be doing this right now. We're timid. Yet Jesus, the one with the reign and a rule that will never end, what does he call us to do? With confidence, draw near to him. Why? 
because he wants us to draw near to him. It's what he said, Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Why? Because my burden is light. He wants us to come near to him. He wants us to draw near to him. He wants us to come into relationship with him. He wants us to walk with him. Maybe you're feeling in this place today like, yeah, if Jesus knew everything about me, though, he wouldn't want me to come near to him. Here's the thing. He knows everything about you. He wants you to come near to him. Okay, maybe not just the stuff I've done, but if he knew everything that was going on up in here, he'd want nothing to do with me. Guess what? He knows all of it. He wants you. That's the good news of the gospel. God sent his son. He drew near to us so that we could, in return, draw near to him. That's what he invites us to, to draw near to a throne of grace. I'm going to invite my friends to come back up here and continue leading us in a time of worship. And there's just a few things I want you to think about, sit and consider, maybe pray, do business with the Lord. Just a couple of questions we can ask ourselves, right? There's a whole bunch of different people in this room right now. Right? We have people who've been walking with Jesus for a while. Maybe we have people who are skeptical of this whole thing. We're not really sure. Maybe you're more critical of the entire thing completely. Here's a question I want all of us to ask together today as we sit and listen into this next song. What would it look like for me to hold fast to Jesus instead of the other things I normally run to? Instead of the things that are comfortable, instead of the things that are familiar, what would it look like for me to hold fast and run to Jesus this season? Not just the Christmas presents, not just the food, the fun, the fellowship, the memories, the drinks, the parties, the trees, all the decor. What's it look like for us to hold fast and draw near to Christ and Christ alone? Hold fast to that confession that Jesus is the Lord. And then secondly, just like the gospel teaches, Jesus came and lived the perfect life for us. He died, rose again, and is now seated on a throne. Why? Because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Here's the final question I want us to ask and, th and just consider during this next song. What would it look like for me to truly submit my life to Jesus? For him to truly be the Lord of my life over everything I think, over everything I say, over everything I do? What would it look like for Jesus to be Lord over my finances, Lord over my relationships, Lord over my career, Lord over my family? What would it look like for us to do that? And Michael's going to join us again and continue on just telling this story through Canvas. Our band is going to continue leading us. I'd invite you during this time to just ask that question, man, what's it look like for me to embrace Jesus as the Lord of my life? From a cradle to a cross, from a manger to a throne. Friends, that's the gospel story. That's the truth. It's the truth. It's the confession we can hold fast to. He's the person we can draw near to. The third encouragement from Hebrews 4 is that we would receive grace and receive mercy to find help during our time of need. I don't know what time of need you're encountering right now in this season of life, but we can receive grace, we can receive mercy for all of it. Maybe you're working through a season of loss. Maybe it's your first Christmas without that friend, without that family member. My hope and prayer for you this Christmas is that you'd hold fast to Christ and that you'd receive the grace and mercy he offers each and every one of us.
And maybe for some of you, you're, you're not walking with Jesus. You're not a Christian. You don't believe. You can receive grace. You can receive mercy from him this morning. You can begin a relationship with Jesus. And those are two pretty big words. Receive mercy. Receive grace. What does that mean? Well, mercy is the act of withholding something that's deserved. It's the act of withholding punishment. See, the Bible says we're all sinners. Whether we like it or not, that's the problem each and every one of us have. Each and every one of us is a sinner that could be saved by grace. What is sin? Again, God says this, hey, you should live your life this way. And we say, "Mm, I don't really want to do that. Or God says, hey, you should do this instead. And we say, "Mm, that's kind of what I want to do. It's called sin. You can call it whatever you want. God calls it sin. We break God's law. We break God's commandment. We do things contrary to what he tells us to All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and have fallen short of the expectation of perfection. Perfection. The Bible goes on and says the wages of that sin, the penalty that should be paid because of that sin in our life is death. But God has given us mercy. He has withholded that judgment because he sent his son Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for that sin. It's by his grace alone that we're saved. Grace is the opposite of mercy. Mercy is withholding something deserved. Grace is giving something you don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It goes on, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, says if we confess with our mouth, Confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, that confession we hold fast to. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we shall be safe. It's grace and it's mercy. It's the greatest gift that we could offer you this Christmas Eve. And it's a a gift I want to offer you even now, just an opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus, of who he is and what he's done for us the gift that we have in Christ, the gift that we have in eternity of living with him forever. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you're at. And in a moment, I'm just going to pray. And maybe for some of you who have been walking with Jesus for a while, let me encourage you during this time, would you say a little prayer and just hold fast to Jesus? Give your heart back to him. Would you draw near to him? If you're finding yourself in a season of needing help, a season of struggle, would you call upon him and receive the grace and receive the mercy that he offers us this Christmas and every moment of every day? And maybe you're in this place this morning and you're wanting to place your faith, your hope, your trust in Christ alone for salvation. Man, you're not alone. We've had hundreds of people give their life to Christ just last night and today. Amazing things are happening, and we'd love for you to make that decision this weekend as well. I'm going to pray a sample prayer, something you can follow after just to lead you and guide you into talking with the Lord. And if it's your heart desire to follow Christ and give your life to him this morning, you can pray something like this. Dear God, thank you for allowing me to be here today. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong by you. Yet still, God, you've offered me grace through your son, Jesus. So today I hold fast to Jesus. I draw near to Jesus. 
And I choose to receive that gift which you offer me, that gift of mercy, that gift of grace. Father, would you help me walk with you all the days of my life? Man, if that's you, I just want to pray for you. God, thank you for bringing these people here this morning, for bringing people like this here last night, this morning, and today, even now. God, would you continue to do what only you can do and change hearts, change lives, draw people to yourself. God, I pray for those who made that decision, God, that they would go knowing that their life has never changed, that the old is gone, new has come, that they are now a new creation in you because of who you are and what you've done for them. Father, we love you, we praise you, we give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.